It's 10 a.m., June 30th, 2012. You're listening to uncradio.com, and it's time for Dave's Gone By. Good morning, everybody, on this June 30th, 2012, just a couple of days before Independence Day, and we're here in, I want to say the cradle of independence, it's kind of the uh, cradle of fire <laughs> in, in this particular state, this particular month, Colorado, of course. I'm Dave Lefkowitz, doing the show for you, Dave's Gone By. It is our 391st episode of the program. We began back, all the way back in October of 2002. So we're really, we're less than half a year away from the 10th anniversary of this show. First started doing it in New York at a small radio station on Long Island. Did that there for, I guess, about seven years. Came out to Northern Colorado and this fine university here with my darling wife and our little pets and have been doing the show from this particular radio, radio station, UNC Radio, for uh, close to three years now and having a wonderful time doing it. We're here every Saturday from 10 a.m. until 1 in the afternoon, Mountain Time, noon to 3 Eastern. And this particular episode, I have to say, kind of scares me a little bit. I'm a little bit nervous about it. I mean, I feel relaxed. I feel mellow. It's too hot in Colorado to be anything but mellow these particular days. But um, most shows I have a little bit more planned out and organized. Past few months I've had two uh, two special guests on an episode. Each of them taken up like 40 minutes to almost an hour. So I'm usually scrambling after I've got the special guests done to do, ooh, I've got to do the Dylan segment, and I want to throw in a segue here, and don't forget the sponsors and the weather and the, all of this. And uh, sometimes even when I have one guest, it kind of anchors the episode. I sort of know, okay, that's what this is all about, and then I'll fill in the filigree all around it for the rest of the three hours with a lot of music and some talk and inside Broadway and what have you. Well, we don't have any guests planned 
for this particular episode of the show. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I didn't even work hard to try and get one over the course of the week. I've been busy with other things. And I said, like, okay, yeah, well, I'm making an attempt, but really I'm, I'm looking for guests for later in July or you know, starting already with a fall when we get to our fall season. So let me just do the show almost the way the show was initially planned many years ago, back when it was a late-night show and only an hour long. Let me just get on mic talk about a few things I want to talk about, joke around, get some of uh, the things that are in my head off my head, and play a lot of music and have fun doing that, and maybe have another couple of segments or two, but not have it so strictly guest-centric, which the show has kind of become over the past several months, mainly because we've been having some amazing guests from the music field, from theater, from radio, from all different places, and uh, very proud of that, and that's not stopping, that's not going away. As a matter of fact, we, sometime in July, I'm expecting a really cool, uh, exciting musical guest from one of the most major bands of the late 1960s. So, you know, working on that, exciting about that, but not today, not this morning. This episode of Dave's Gone By is just going to be you and me, and maybe a call-in or two, but really just me at the mic, mellowing out, playing music, and doing a couple of the segments that we do here virtually every week, including Inside Broadway, where I talk about one of the things I love most in the world, Broadway theater and theater in general. And so we'll have some Broadway news to tell you, and also I'll be reviewing the production of Masterclass that they're doing here at UNC. There's um, the summer theater that they do on the campus of the University of Northern Colorado. is called Little Theater of the Rockies. And it's kind of apart and kind of separate from the school program at UNC. I mean, all the people who are teaching during the year are the ones involved in running the theater. Um, so, but, but it's also more of a professional company. People get paid to act in it. There are guest artists brought in. So it isn't quite like the shows that they do throughout the school year here at UNC. So, um, they've been doing some really fine work this summer and I've talked about it in previous weeks. They've done The Boys Next Door and then they brought in, um, a superb staging of Next to Normal, which I, raved about last week and will rave about again. And because these uh, shows over the summer are kind of done in repertory, they, they'll play for a week then go away for two or three weeks and then come back. You have another week of chances to see Next to Normal um, not sure when. You have to go check the Little Theater of the Rockies car- ca- excuse me, calendar so please do that. But um, anyway, still doing some other shows including Masterclass the Terrence McNally play with music, all about Maria Callas, the great famous opera singer, controversial opera singer as well, and the idea that she would give a master class for up-and-coming young opera tenors, sopranos, divas, what have you, and of course that becomes the way that we get to hear about all the weird, crazy, amazing things that happened in her life and some of the sad things that happened in, in her life as well. So they I just saw it last night. It's playing at the Norton Theater at UNC, and I'm going to let you know what I thought of it later on in the broadcast during Inside Broadway on Dave's Gone By. Also, we'll do our 
uh, our weekly Bob Dylan Sooner and Later segment. That's where we dip into Dylan's career, just because he is who he is. He's been so extraordinary and so prolific, so that we can play a few Bob Dylan songs every week to honor the man, the genius that he is. And usually we also do them around a particular theme. Well, this theme, of course, is going to be Independence Day, July 4th, America, all that sort of cool stuff, since we're days away from the 4th of July. So that'll be our Bob Dylan segment coming at, I guess, about noon, as it usually does, Mountain Time, on Dave's Gone By. I'll be talking... Also, that's the one thing I haven't had a chance to do that much of in recent weeks, is I'll be talking about stuff that's in the news. My Dave Goes Off segment. Dave goes off on this, Dave goes off on that. We'll be going off on the whole big Supreme Court Obamacare decision this particular week. And also I want to talk about my old alma mater. You know, I'm... I'm here at UNC. I've done some adjunct teaching. I got another master's degree here. So I'm I'm very tied to this university already, even though I've only been here about two and a half years. But my my previous alma mater was New York University. I went there, oh God, 20, 25 years ago, got my bachelor's there, got my first master's there. And so even though I have mixed feelings about the place, it still was my New York academic home, and I still have a certain pride in NYU. And so, NYU apparently made the news this week because they're out there trying to gobble up more real estate in Greenwich Village, New York. You know, they, they went from being this pretty big university to just this, this giant megalopal academicalist that's snatching up apartment buildings and streets and anything they could get their hands on because they've just been growing by leaps and bounds. And people have been grumbling about it for years because sometimes they're not the best landlord or what have you, or they're kicking people out because they need the space. Well, apparently they want to do even much more. I mean, they're they're, they're like want to get something like a million square feet more space for this university. And now people are, are really getting up in arms because they're changing the whole face of Greenwich Village and they're afraid of losing the parks and some of the trees and the open spaces. And apparently there's a story um, that was in the papers just a day or two ago where Matthew Broderick, the TV and movie and, and theater actor, is joining the protests because I guess he and Sarah Jessica Parker live and work mostly near the village. And so they're saying, hey, enough is enough. NYU, you have <laughs> all the space and all the buildings that you need. So why why more? Okay, scale back a little bit. You know, go easy. Don't be changing the whole landscape of this historic area. And so, you know, I want to weigh in on all of that because I was a New Yorker for 45 years of my life and I um, went to NYU I knew the village. I, it was my second sort of place when I wasn't living on Long Island. So I'll be talking about that in my Dave Goes Off segment as well. And so you see, there's, there's, there's a bit to talk about. There's a lot of fun to do on this coming episode of Dave's Gone By here this particular Saturday morning, June 30th, 2012. Again, I'm Dave Lefkowitz, and 
want to just let you know, to find out more about this program, go to davesgoneby.com, which is the place where you can see pictures and hear the history of the show. And also, not right now, but you know, once the show is over and you love it so much, you're going to want to hear the back episodes, the archives of Dave's Gone By. They're all there, pretty much, virtually 98% of the programs that we've done, whatever we could save have an archived at davesgoneby.com. Just click to the home page, scroll down, and you'll see the shows listed, first of all, alphabetically by the special guests that we've had, and then further down, every show chronologically listed with information about the programs as well. And you just can uh, left-click and stream it right on your computer, or you can right-click and download to your iPod or your hard drive. It's absolutely free. And you can scroll back or forth. You know, if you, we've been doing three-hour shows for the past couple of years. They used to be only an hour long. But if you want to scroll through some of the, the music or get through some of the talking and get to the music, you can do that too. It's all at davesgoneby.com. If you want to see the playlist for this week's show, because I'm going into music in just a moment or two, you can go to myspace.com and then search for Dave's Gone By, and we'll update that every 10 minutes or so. So you can see if I forget to back announce something or you're like, ooh, what was that song that was so cool and you need to know it immediately, go to myspace.com and search for Dave's Gone By. And if you want to drop me an email, and this would be an especially good show to do that, because I am going to be just playing it a little easier and more lax and more sort of casual and open, I'm happy to take your emails. Dave's Gone By at AOL.com. D-A-V-E-S-G-O-N-E-B-Y at AOL.com. And tell me what you think of the show. Make a musical request if you so choose. Let me know what you're doing over the, um, the holiday. Well, it's not really a weekend. It pops right into the middle of the week. But I wouldn't be surprised if there are people taking like five-day weekend and vacations if they can. Either way, Dave's Gone By at AOL.com or even... Take the number down for the radio station, 970-351-1256, 970-351-1256. Get you on the air. Come talk to me. We can talk about Obamacare. We can talk about the Greenwich Village and NYU. We can talk about whatever's in the news. We can certainly talk about the uh, the Colorado fires, you know, the, uh, the Waldo fire and the... the one over by Fort Collins. Whatever is on your mind, feel free to give me a buzz. 970-351-1256. Keep the number handy if you don't want to call right now, because I want to get into our first Saturday segue for this episode of the show. And I've talked for a bit, so now I'm going to play quite a bit of music. Get into that America thing. America the beautiful, America the sometimes not-so-beautiful all of it, we're going to be celebrating that because we're coming up on July 4th and Independence Day. And what better way to start this kind of a segue than with the rye, um, hmm, the rye tunesmithing of someone who will see both sides of the American equation, the brilliant singer-songwriter Randy Newman and his classic number, Sail Away. In America, you get food to eat Won't have to run through the jungle and scuff up your feet 
You just sing about Jesus and drink wine all day. It's great to be an American. Ain't no lion or tiger, ain't no mama snake. Just a sweet watermelon in the buckwheat cake. Everybody is as happy as a man can be. Climb aboard, little walk, sail away with me. Sail away. your soul back God don't make that kind of deal when your prayers all go unanswered and the dust is getting worse and you live near open sewers with just pennies in your purse that is when the good Lord will become your savior he will lead you to the light We are all God's children His arms always open We must all do what is right You make me in debt Wake up in a sweat But let's not forget You were made in America Don't get much change from a dime You can't blame those kids for 
shopping bags. City Hall is low on kindness, but it don't run out of flags. They both grew up hungry, they were heading nowhere thanks to good old USA. All who sin must answer.
Cause I don't believe in empty more drag Don't wanna vote for the left wing Don't wanna vote for the right I gotta have both to make me fly Just a whitey from Blighty But heading that well I got my little green card And my bulletproof belt I'm going to Old Tube City Where the buzz is the best Oh, down the line Down the line Down the line
a bit of broadcast there, broadcasting on uncradio.com, doing our first Saturday segue of the day here on Dave's Gone By, saluting America and the USA on uh, this June 30th, 2012. Heard a bunch of songs there. Not even going to back announce them because we got more to play. Told you it was going to be a nice long segment of music. So we move from America to the USA. Kind of the same thing, or at least for uh, us Americans who have no sensitivity for the fact that Latin America is America too, you know, and all that. So we'll have some America songs, but, you know, you can't, you cannot go through the 4th of July without hearing this particular song by the boss, Bruce Springsteen, even though it is as wry and cynical as Randy Newman and his song that we started our set with, Sail Away, even though um, Springsteen really never meant this song to be kind of a pro-rah-rah American flag USA anthem, it ended up becoming one anyway, just because it is so powerful and so strong. And we're all kind of sick of the song because they overplayed it <laughs> when the album come out came out. But hey, you know what? It's my show. It's my second day segue. And it is coming up on that big holiday, so ladies and gentlemen, you know it, you love it, you've got to hear it. Born in the USA. Too much to your spend half your life just to 
veils, your eyes were glassy and you looked so pale You said, my life has become a living hell Ain't got enough money to pay my bills Everything's wrong Everything's wrong Got a friend with a needle stuck in his arm He got hooked on heroin in Vietnam It used to help kill the pain some of the time Now I can't sleep at all since I got back home Everything is wrong Everything is wrong I worked in the strip mines off and on Now I can't seem to get rid of this cough Ain't been many jobs these last few months And the last one I had, I got laid off Everything is wrong
kind of a gloomy note to end this first Saturday segue with bit of Lucinda Williams there with the live version of her song American Dreams Everything is Wrong well no, Lucinda, not everything, a lot of things for sure um, I don't know if they're wronger now than they were three three and a half years ago, I don't think they are honestly, but uh, yeah I mean you can look around and see the negative or you can always also look around and see the glass being half full I don't know, I, I would say it's about, mm, for America these days, about 59% full. Which, considering that mm, five years ago it was maybe 30% full, I think it's, it's, it's a step up. It's a few more drops in the glass. And we are filling our glass and toasting our glass to America and the upcoming July 4th holiday here on Dave's Gone By. It is 11 a.m. Mountain Time here at the University of Northern Colorado, uncradio.com is what you're listening to. And the program, Dave's Gone By. Been on the air since October 2002, and now we do three hours a week, every Saturday, 10 until 1, Mountain Time, Dave's Gone By, a mix of talk and music and humor and other cool stuff. So, first of all, the cool stuff that we did is play a very nice long Saturday segue of America and USA songs. I'm going to tell you exactly what they are by looking at the MySpace page for this program. You can go there too, myspace.com, search for Dave's Gone By. We started the set with Randy Newman. You know, we start cynically, we end cynically. There's kind of a, a circular theme there. Randy Newman with Sail Away, telling all the little wogs, well, in America, you get food to eat, you don't have to run through the jungle, scuff up your feet, you sing about Jesus and drink wine all day. It's great to be an American. And, of course, he's telling this to all these slaves who are coming over to this country and not going to have the joyful experience of just singing about Jesus and drinking wine all day. Certainly not. Randy Newman, Sail Away. That was followed by a song from the 2011 Broadway cast of Bonnie and Clyde, the Frank Wildhorn musical. Yet another Broadway flop or disappointment for Frank Wildhorn. Although, as you can hear from that song, there's, there's some talent. There, there's some stuff worth listening to. The cast album is available, and that song, Made in America, with uh, you know Clyde kind of explaining that uh, when America leaves you with nothing to build on, and when it gives you nothing to start with, you basically have to steal your way to the top, which is <laughs> what happens. So Bonnie and Clyde, Made in America, and then classic, wonderful number, from the Stephen Sondheim Leonard Bernstein musical West Side Story America that from the recent Broadway revival that was directed by Arthur Lawrence the book writer for the show um, I think it's a, a terrific version of that song I kind of like it more than the original Broadway cast version uh, you can hear every lyric and it's, it's really great um, America from West Side Story. Then another song called America, courtesy of Robin Hitchcock from his Groovy Decoy collection. Ian Hunter with that very long, kind of endless song, All American Alien Boy, followed by a song called America's Boy from Broadcast, all about, uh, well, what makes an American soldier, which led us to inevitably 
to Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA, the title track of that Munster album that he had all those years ago. Elvis Costello crawling to the USA. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, one of their really lesser-known and best later songs. One of the only CSNY songs I actually enjoy listening to that isn't um, you know, an early Neil Young composition. It's called American Dream. Great, great number for a not so great album, but that, that's a classic. So, uh, and, and again, moving back sort of into the cynicism realm with CSNY's American Dream, followed up and then crushed, crushed into the ground by Lucinda Williams with American Dreams. It's 11.04 in the morning, and now it's time to, uh, to indulge my dreams, my dreams of Broadway and off-Broadway and New York and theater by going inside Broadway on Dave's Gone by, letting you know the news of what's happening on the stages of New York, because that kind of affects theater everywhere, and I'll have a review on this particular edition of Inside Broadway, so stick around for that. Let's begin with the news, and kind of appropriate since we're talking about America and the heartland, you know, and, and our western skies here in Colorado. Gotta go for a little bit of country music in a strange way. Billy Ray Cyrus, yep, the achy breaky heart guy and the father of Miley Cyrus, of course, is going to make his Broadway debut. In November, he's going to step in as Billy Flynn. He is the uh, the lawyer and the um, handsome and kind of very put-together guy that the ladies who are accused of murder, well, rightfully so, hire to defend them, and he basically makes them media sensations that skirt their way out of jail. So, Billy Ray Cyrus is going to be taking over for Billy Flynn. That'll be just for a couple of weeks in November, and in a statement for um, when he was interviewed about taking this role. He said he had seen the show on Broadway with John O'Hurley doing the role and he said, oh well, you know John O'Hurley is brilliant and it just looks like so much fun and such a great thing to be up there. Let me try it. So uh, Chicago, by the way, plays at the Ambassador Theater on Broadway. It's been there since 1997. You know, hitting its 25th birthday this year. Classic score by John Kander and Fred Ebb, and a very um, comical, cynical, dark book by Fred Ebb and Bob Fosse. I had totally forgotten about that. I thought Fosse only did like the direction and choreography, but he he was working on the book too. So Chicago going strong and playing its November stint with Billy Ray Cyrus. Also, um, speaking of things on Broadway, well, check this out. Um, there's a movie that just opened this weekend, and every woman you've t- every woman who's read Fifty Shades of Grey knows about this movie. It's called Magic Mike, and it's all about the strippers and the stripper life and the parties and the excesses and the wild stuff that goes on. Magic Mike I didn't realize it was directed by Steven Soderbergh, so it has some imprimatur behind it. may actually be a pretty decent film, uh, for all I know, or care. All I know is, you know, when, when 
the commercial comes on the TV, my wife magically looks up from whatever she happens to be doing, you know, whether it's Matthew McConaughey or whoever else is in in the uh, film. I think Channing Tatum is in there as well. He might be starring in it. And so I'm sure most women do as well, much as men look up every time there's a, a, a hot girl in some movie and you see about you know, a quarter second of her to show, oh, there is a, a love story, there is a romance, there may be partial nudity, I may go see that, or rent it on DVD. So, okay, the women are getting that with their magic mic. Well, guess what? Already there is talk of magic mic turning into a Broadway show. Steven Soderbergh and Channing Tatum are planning on co-producing the thing with Soderbergh directing, and they're talking about aiming for summer of 2013. Well, first of all, good luck on that. Ain't no way you're going to get a show from basically an idea of remaking a movie into a Broadway show in less than a year. Not going to happen. Maybe they'll have like the script down in a year. Mark my words. And again, they don't, I guess, have to hire a um, a composer and a lyricist because they'll probably end up cobbling together all these things like Rock of Ages does or these jukebox musicals do of songs from other places. But still, you know, good luck, guys. Hope it works out for you. Full Monty certainly uh, you know, was a minor hit on Broadway, a good show. And by the way, coming to Little Theater of the Rockies in just a week or so. So that'll be the uh, the final show of the LTR season here at UNC. So if you didn't get to see it on Broadway, or it's been a few years since it's been there, definitely worth checking out. But anyway, is there room for another stripper musical? Well, Gypsy, one of, if not the greatest musical ever to hit Broadway, um, was about a stripper. So there's there's definitely some success there. It could happen. You never know. Magic Mike might be coming to a Broadway theater near you in summer of 2013. Uh, let's see. Got uh, some cute off-Broadway news. New Christopher Durang play, yay, going to be trying out at New Jersey's McCarter Theater before it comes to Lincoln Center Theater in the fall, uh, in October, actually, at the Mitzi Newhouse Theater up on 65th Street. The name of the show, Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike. Of course, kind of conflating Uncle Vanya with the Paul Mazursky film, what was it, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. So Christopher Durang already having, you know, humor in the title. And maybe it won't be as dark as some of his recent pieces, but certainly should be a lot of fun to check out. And they listed this week, they've named the cast for the show, and it includes David Hyde Pierce, who, ever since doing Frasier, he basically does what he wants to, which is giving great performances on and off Broadway. So we saw him, of course, in Spamalot, where he was marvelous, and in that revival of La Bette. And then he recently did a show off-Broadway, marvelous actor David Hyde Pierce, going to be co-starring with Sigourney Weaver. So it'll be her first time back on Broadway in a while. She was in a Christopher Durang play a few years ago, a very dark one that uh, didn't do very well. But she and Durang go, go way back. They were first starting out together. I think they were even um, chums in college and working on plays and musicals together way back when. I seem to recall she did Das Lusitania Songspiel in their college years. But anyway, she and he have hung together, still doing shows together. So she 
and David Pierce, both going to be at the Mitzi Newhouse Theater in October, Von Sonia and Masha and Spike. Now, let's say you can't get to New York. You can't get to Broadway, or certainly not, or off-Broadway, and certainly not in time for the limited window where LCT might be doing an off-Broadway show. Let's say you can't leave your home. You can put on the TV, and just as you watched the Tony Awards, you will also be able to see a production, a television production, of The Sound of Music. Neil Merrin and Craig Zayden, the guys who helped put Chicago together and, and um, they also did, I think, How to Succeed on TV, really people who are devoted to trying to bring Broadway to a bigger audience than just in New York what it was and just what's on tour. They want everybody to understand and put on the TV and see Broadway. I think they even might have been involved in the, um, oh, what's that one about the girl who goes to uh, college? She goes to law school because her boyfriend's there. Oh, it's based on the Reese Witherspoon film. Anyway, I think they also had a hand in bringing that to TV. Don't quote me on that. I could be getting some of these details wrong. But anyway, in the months ahead, or might take a year or two, on NBC, they want to do a live Sound of Music. Check it out. It's, um, it certainly have... <laughs> I was thinking, well, yeah, they could get all these wonderful Broadway actresses to, to maybe do it, if they're not a little too long in the tooth. You could get maybe a, a Melissa Errico, right? Or a Rebecca Luker, or hell, even an Audra McDonald, or whoever, some big cool... Or Leah Michelle. Let, let's imagine that. Or they could also go the other way and maybe, do you see Lady Gaga as Maria? I, I, don't, I don't know about that. Maybe Rihanna or someone. <sighs> I think I'll go back for at least this particular moment to Mary Martin and the original Broadway cast of The Sound of Music. I know, I know, you know, take away, strip away all the stuff that you think about The Sound of Music, right? Um, the, the sugariness, the fact that it was on TV once a year, every year, you gotta watch the long Julie Andrews film doing it, you know, and, and, and the, the cute little girls in the Von Trapp family singing the song and all of that, and late Rogers and Hammerstein. Strip away the gook and all the stuff that also attached to the song, and the fact that it's like, oh, you know, gooey theater song about the hills alive and the sound of it is wonderful and sweet and nature and, you know, one of the reasons people who think they hate Broadway and musical theater seem to hate Broadway and musical. Take all that away and just listen to the song, enjoy the lyrics, and then, especially like in the last, it's a, it's a relatively short song, it's under three minutes, The that wonderful culmination uh, at the end of the song, of the chord that it goes to, this resolution that it, it goes to when she finally says, you know, my soul is alive with the sound of music. Check that out. See if that doesn't give you goosebumps, even after all these years of sound of music songs, okay? Promise me you'll do that. Promise me you won't turn it off. Promise me you'll share Mary Martin in the original cast of the sound My of music. Every day in the hills has come to an end, I know. A star has come out to tell me it's time to go. 
But deep in the dark green shadows Are voices that urge me to stay So I pause and I wait and I listen For one more sound For one more lovely thing That the hills might say The hills are alive With the sound of music With songs they have sung For a thousand years The hills fill my heart With the sound of music My heart wants to sing every song It hears My heart wants to beat like the wings Of the birds that rise from the lake To the trees My heart wants to sigh Like a chime that lies From a church On a breeze To laugh like a brook When it trips and falls Over stones In its way To sing Through the night Like a lark Who is learning To pray I go To the hills When my heart is lonely I know I will hear What I've heard before My heart will be blessed With the sound of music And I'll sing the song is a masterpiece. It really is. Rodgers and Hammerstein, The Sound of Music, Mary Martin doing the honors from the original Broadway cast, and then hopefully coming to a TV screen near you. Not in the immediate future, but uh, courtesy of Neil Merrin and Craig Zayden uh, in the months and years ahead. We're inside Broadway here on Dave's Gone By, giving you the Broadway and off-Broadway news, and in just a few minutes coming up with a review of Colorado Theater, going to review the master class that they're doing here at UNC. But before then, got to do some sad news on Broadway. First of all, some uh, closing notices. You know, shows come, shows go. It's, there's, that's the thing about Broadway. It's cyclical. You know, it doesn't stay around forever. So, on Broadway, closing July 1st, so you have until tomorrow to catch two shows. One is the revival of Jesus Christ Superstar, that they're doing at the Neil Simon Theater. This is the one they imported from Canada, and it got great, great reviews and buzz over there because it was kind of different. It was very modernized, and uh, you know they had uh, what do you call words going across the screen. I mean, they they mechanized it quite a bit, and they made it. Uh, it wasn't just sand pits and hills and a, a big cross on a dune. I mean, it, it was done in a more modernistic style and and with some references to modern culture as well. I saw it, I thought it worked pretty well. I mean, it's a tough 
show to do. Everybody thinks, well, the music um, is an automatic gimme. It's, it's an, it automatically carries it. It's Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice. And back when they were still writing rock and roll music, and pretty hard rock and roll for parts of the show as well. And some of the best music they ever wrote. Uh, but again, the, the piece was conceived as a record album. It was a rock opera for a disc. And it didn't really occur to people to, to put it as a, um, a show until later on, until they had success with, I guess, um, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and went from be a pa- being a record album and a pageanty thing. So they said, hey, let's make a movie, let's make a whatever of Jesus Christ Superstar, and it's tough stuff, because there's not a lot of character development for, for really anybody in the show, except maybe Judas and Magdalene. Um, and it wasn't meant to be a theatrical Enterprise. It wasn't constructed that way. So when you put it on stage, it's going to suffer from the lack of certain things that we expect from a constructed Broadway musical. Given that, I thought it was a pretty good job that they did in this time. And certainly better than the Jesus Christ Superstar that they did on Broadway about, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago that was more of just like a musical concert and, and wasn't particularly entertaining, and the only thing I really remember about that one was that they had the Jesus up there, and the guy had to be anorexic. He had to be about 87 pounds. So when he's up there on the cross, you you, you see his ribcage, I mean, you, you see he's doing this, this motion that I guess he learned in aerobics class, where he's sucking his entire belly in. So he honestly looks like a Holocaust victim while he's up there breathing his last on the cross. And I'm like... You know, okay, that's that's pretty impressive and pretty disgusting. And is this enter- <laughs> is this at all entertaining? I mean, Jesus does die on the cross in the current Jesus Christ Superstar. It's just not quite so like rubbing your face in the horrible, twisted agony of it. It's like, okay, he's yeah, he's been done wrong by the Romans and by his disciples and stuff. And uh, you know, but we also know well. You know, the, the, the big problem with telling this story is that everybody ha- is guilty, supposedly, in the death of Jesus, and yet they have no free will, because Jesus predicts everything and tells them what they're going to do. So it's just, you don't know what to feel about it all. And it's like, well, uh, Judas is bad, and the disciples all fall asleep, and blah, blah, blah. But then again, Jesus says, well, that's what you're going to do. I'm expecting that of you. You can't change that. So it's this, this weird dichotomy that also, I think, affects the whole story of it and, and the whole show. But I certainly think it is worth seeing. I did not get to see the guy who plays Judas regularly. I saw him on the Tony Awards, but he was out when I went to see Jesus Christ Superstar in my last trip to New York. And I got to see uh, Jeremy Kushner, who was, uh, if you remember him from Footloose, when that was on Broadway. And he was really good. I I thought, you know, he was powerful, he sang really well, and he was really interesting to watch. And I, I didn't miss the guy who normally plays Jesus. I got to see him on the Tony Awards show, and I have to say, yeah, seeing him, he was magnetic, he had a very interesting, different sort of a voice, and sorry that I missed that particular Judas, but if you want to catch him, 
You've got, I think, three more chances. You've got this matinee, and then tonight, and then tomorrow afternoon, and then Jesus Christ Superstar closes on Broadway at the Neil Simon Theater. Also, seriously, folks, if you want an hour and a half, uh, maybe it's closer to two hours, of laughs, of really dark, um, family dysfunction laughs, go see The Lions at the Court Theater. And I'm not just saying this because the star, Linda Lavin, was a guest on Dave's Gone By a few months ago. She really is hilariously, terrifically funny. I mean, she chews the scenery. She mugs all over the place. She rolls her eyes. She gives a look. She'll, she'll look to the audience. I mean, she is playing to the crowd. But in this kind of comedy, it works. It's a Nicky Silver play, and I think it's, it's, for me, the most enjoyable that he's ever written. It's all about this family where the father is on his deathbed in the hospital, and the mother is just marking time. She's reading magazines. She's fighting with him, even though you know, cancer is taking his life. She's bitching at him in the hospital room. And then the kids are no prize package either. You know, you've got the daughter who has trouble with relationships, and the, uh, the son who's gay and, and gets involved in all the wrong things, it's still, it's, it's especially that very first scene, which runs about 25 minutes, I think, it's hilarious stuff. So if you haven't seen The Lions, again, you've only got a couple more chances on that. It's closing this weekend. Now, Off-Broadway, closing today are two shows, so you only have very limited opportunity to catch the Shakespeare in the Park As You Like It, featuring a very acclaimed performance by Lily Rabe, and also Miss Abigail's Guide to Dating, Mating, and Marriage, which plays at Sophia's um, with our friend of the neighborhood, Christine Petty. Now, now she'll have a little bit more breathing room over the summer, because Christine has been doing two different shows at the same time. She's been doing Miss Abigail's Guide, and then running over to do Newsies. Um, No, excuse me, not Newsies. Um, She's been doing um, Newsical, pardon me, a very different show. So anyway, Miss Abigail's Guide, cute little show, all about this woman trying to give dating tips and romance tips, while also completely ignoring her good-looking Spanish assistant, who's been hot for her for years. And it's a cute, it's, there's audience interaction, there's, there's, it's, I can't say, oh, oh, if you miss it, you miss it, but it's, it's nice, I, who did I see it with? I think, um, um, one of the, the Brady Bunch people was in it when it first opened, and then pro- probably Eve Plum did it for a bit, and Joyce DeWitt was in there from Happy Days. Then you got Christine Petty in there, I'm sure she's really funny, so check it out, last couple of performances at Sophia's in Midtown. And then, of course, the, uh, the extra sad news that we did lose Nora Ephron, <coughs> excuse me, Nora Ephron this week. She died on June 26th of leukemia and pneumonia. That's a hell of a combination. And um, she was born in 1941. I didn't even realize she was the former wife. She was married a couple of times. Her previous husbands included Carl Bernstein, and then the Jewish humorist Dan Greenberg. She was also married to the writer Nicholas Pileggi. They were still writer, married at the time of her death. She didn't really do that much on Broadway. Obviously, we know her from the movies, everything from Silkwood to When Harry Met Sally. Uh, she did try Broadway in 2002 
in the show called Imaginary Friends. And it was all about the friendship between Lillian Hellman and another writer, Mary McCarthy, played by Susie Kurtz and Cherry Jones. And I think everybody was just so taken by the casting, but the play itself didn't really... It just didn't quite happen. But uh, that, that was her shot at Broadway. Shame to lose Nora Ephron. Shame she didn't try Broadway again, because she was obviously a witty and clever and smart writer, uh, as you can see from you know, the vast majority of the films that she worked on. So farewell to Nora Ephron. Wanted to, uh, let's see, what else did I want to tell you? Oh, yeah! Wanted to give you the official news we did last week, but got to remind you again and again that Rabbi Saul Solomon, who has been busy... I'll tell you why he's been busy. He hasn't been doing his weekly rabbinical reflections here. He apologizes for that. But the reason is, oh, he's so busy with his one-man show. Now, he did it here at the University of Northern Colorado back in November. It was called Shalom Dammit, an evening with Rabbi Saul Solomon. And it's his wit, his wisdom, there's songs in there. It's this really fun show. It did well here. And so then he brought it to New York in March for a week. And it did very well there. And people were really into it and liked it a lot. And by the time they could tell other people, hey, you really should go see this, it was gone. And so Rabbi Saul made the decision to say, you know what? Got to bring it back. Got to give more people the opportunity to hear the sermons and the songs of Rabbi Saul. And he's going to bring it this time to Midtown. So people who may have been phased by the fact that the show, when it was done in March, was all the way sort of on the like the east side and kind of a ping to get to. It wasn't really near any subways. He's remedied that, ladies and gentlemen. The show is going to be playing at the Roy Arias Theater Center. Roy Arias Theater Center is on West 43rd Street, right at the corner of 8th Avenue. You cannot get more Broadway-centric than that. It's not a Broadway show, but it's, it's exactly near a whole, whole bunch of Broadway shows, not to mention every subway train you could picture. The 1, the 2, the 3, the A, the C, the E, uh, the NRQ are right near there. It's the Times Square stop. The number 7, the S train. Even if you have to take an east side train, like the 4, 5, and 6, that's only going to let you out about 4 blocks away. Not too shabby. But you jump on the west side of trains, I mean, you're a block, less than a block, from the Roy Arias Theater Center, where Shalom Dammit, an evening with Rabbi Saul Solomon, will play from Tuesday, July 31st, through Sunday, August 12th. And they're doing a bunch of performances. It's going to be every night at 7, Tuesday through Saturday. And then Sunday, there's a matinee, at 1 and a matinee at 5.30, well, a late matinee, or an early evening, however you want to call it. And then there's also matinees on Wednesday and Saturday at 2. So it's Tuesday at 7, Wednesday 2 and 7, Thursday 7, Friday 7, Saturday 2 and 7, and then Sunday 1 and 5.30 at the Roy Arias Theater Center. If you want to buy tickets, I assume you will, please go to brownpapertickets.com. BrownPaperTickets.com. There's an inexpensive first preview on that Tuesday, July 31st, and then the tickets range between like twenty and thirty dollars depending on when you go. So ShalomDammit.com is the best place to find out all the information about the show. 
Shalom, D-A-M-M-I-T, shalomdammit.com. And then, of course, brown paper tickets. You can call them or go to brownpapertickets.com to buy your tickets for Shalom Dammit, an evening with Rabbi Saul Solomon. Grab them now. You know, they're going to go. It's a small theater. There's not a bad seat in the house. So you get in there, and it's going to be two hours of rabbi with an intermission and music. And, of course, Richard Shore, the musical director here at uh, UNC's Performing and Video uh, and Visual Arts School. He was there in March. He's coming back with the show in August at the Roy Arias Theater Center. You don't want to miss Shalom Dammit at the Roy Arias. Can I, can I push it anymore? Can I tell you any more how wonderful it is? And if you want to find out more, as I said about Rabbi Saul, shalomdammit.com or look for him on YouTube. Definitely stuff to check out and hope to see you in New York from July 31st to August 12th. Okay, now we move into the review segment of Inside Broadway. It's 11.32 in the morning here at UNC. You're listening to Dave's Gone By with me, Dave Lefkowitz. I've been a theater journalist and theater critic for almost 25 years, so um, I still do it, even though I'm not based in New York anymore. I sometimes write about New York theater for Long Island Pulse, but I get to talk about theater here with you on Inside Broadway and some of the shows that I've gotten to see. And I do want to um, give a shout-out to Masterclass. Now, that is a Terrence McNally play. I think it even won the Tony a few years back. It's all about Maria Callas, one of the premier divas and sopranos in all of opera. And um, basically started out with nothing, a Greek girl not apparently terribly attractive, kind of overweight and homely, and yet she knew she had a voice and, and started to work on it and gain her confidence. And even when she, as, as she would say, didn't have oranges to eat, she made sure that she had a pencil to bring to s- singing class because she knew that she was going to guard and bring her instrument to the fullest fruition that she possibly could. And then La Scala discovered her, um, Italy discovered her, Rome discovered her, and within a year she went from being like that that singer there who wasn't particularly good looking and that other people would sort of make fun of and push away and tear her dress and put things in her shoes because they were jealous of her, so she says. And then, boom, she became the diva, la divina, they were called the, the divine singer, Maria Callas. I can't say that she was ever my particular favorite singer. I sort of like a lighter voice with a little less vibrato, but you know, for people who I guess saw her on stage, and the interesting thing of um, the show, one of the interesting things, Masterclass, is that it's so much about visual and physical presence. It isn't just that they come to hear the singer. Now, when you go to the Opera House, La Scala, or the Met, or wherever, they come to see you. They see an opera. They see the way you enter the, the stage, the way you exit, what you are wearing and how you are wearing it, what your makeup is, what your wig, what your hair is, what every little possible detail, because they have come to see you. And hearing is almost a second thing, you know, which is why it just occurred to me, after seeing Masterclass last night at the Norton Theater at the University of Northern Colorado, is that um, 
when Maria Callas critiques the three students that she gets to come to this master class, the three students who, with trepidation, are there to sort of take their lumps and hear what she has to say, virtually all her criticism, not all of, not all of it, but very little is about actual the voice placement, the singing, head voice, chest voice, pronunciation. There's a bit of pronunciation in there. But she doesn't talk about that. A, because I guess the playwright Terence McNally would not find that as interesting, or is not that much of an expert on it. But it's really about the acting of it, the performance and the persona of it. That's what almost all her criticism for these three potential singers revolves around. It's about what are you saying? What is the translation of this? What is this character really feeling, and how do you manifest that? What might they have been doing in the two minutes before you come on stage? And there's a lot of great criticism and ideas there, too. She is also persnickety and prickly and goes off into her own flights of fancy and fantasy, and she is also a temperamental diva, certainly, and will sometimes contradict herself within the space of a breath. She'll say, no, we're not, we're not talking about singing right now, we're talking about acting. And then she'll say, well, how come you're not singing? Um, that's her. You take her as you find her. And she makes a fabulous stage personality, a monstre sacre, sacred monster, as we say. And McNally, the, the playwright, has done a really wonderful job of drawing this character as being someone that, you know, you don't want to be sympathetic towards because she can be so tough and so callously and offhandedly callous to people. And at the same time, most of the time, and, and you know, McNally's very, very savvy to do this, what she asks for is very righteous. She will say, she will demand a seat cushion for her while she's sitting and, and critiquing things, even though she doesn't really sit very much throughout the show. But she'll say, where's my seat cushion? And she'll be very imperious to this poor guy who has to come out and, and cater to her like she is the queen, because she is the queen of opera. But not to him. To him, she's just some uh, some woman who's being really demanding. But you know, then we have to remember, and she says, look, three times I purposely demanded this when I was asked to do this master class. I wrote to them, I, said, you know, I spoke to them three times, I said, is there going to be a cushion on the chair? Is there going to be a glass of water for me to drink? And this and this, and is the lighting going to be right? Well, you know, so we can say, well, she gets up there and she's really bitchy and pissy, but she could just as well turn around and say, well, you know, I wouldn't be had you listened to my instructions that I told you three times before I even got here. So we're always pulled away from her, but yet again, pushed towards her. There is you know, the, the thing that repels us, but also we are drawn in. And of course, she also draws us in with the hardships of her life, with the very sad story we hear about her in the second act and her marriage to Ari Onassis, which in some ways was great for her because she really found someone to love, but at the same time... <laughs> kind of reversing her first marriage she couldn't find someone that truly loved her back in the way that she needed and so she is one of those people who needs to be loved by or who is loved by the masses and yet that isn't always enough it's enough when she's up there on stage it's enough when she's taking that bow and hearing cascade and cascade of applause 
but the minute she steps off the stage, it becomes about who's backstabbing her, and who wants the worst for her, and how come her husband doesn't love her, how come she can't love her husband, or how come she had to do this terrible thing, or how come blah 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 blah, you know, kind of a kind of a a sad character as magnificent as she seems to be. Well, the production of Masterclass at the Norton Theater. Very good, very well worth seeing, and a terrific, honestly terrific performance by Shelley Gaza in the lead role of Maria Callas. She has the t- the temperamentalism down. She's got the quick wit down. She's got the fast. She nails the humor, which is really really important to the show, because otherwise it would be a lot of hectoring and yelling. But the fact that she has. A sense of humor about herself. We see Colossus' own sense of humor, and then the actress's sense of humor about her, which is very important and makes the show go a lot faster.、Um, the one thing Gaza doesn't have, and it's just something that you either have or you don't, is、uh, that you did get on Broadway when Zoe Caldwell premiered the show of about a decade or so back. Is that she doesn't quite walk on stage with. That imperiousness that just comes naturally, or would certainly come naturally to Maria Callas at that stage of her life. You don't. She doesn't walk in and we all go <gasps> sucking in our chests or, or, or our stomachs and puffing out our chests and, and you know, making sure that we don't have any food crumbs in our mustaches or you know our, no hairs are out of place. It's like Madina Callas. Is she going to be crazy? Is she going to be mad? Is she going to be wonderful? Is she going to be Madina? No. What we get coming out on stage of the Norton Theater is something a bit more like the third grade,、uh, third grade teacher that you were terrified of. She meant the best for you usually, but you also never knew when she was going to fly off the handle, when she was going to say something a little wrong, when you know her mix of trying to to get something across was also something of a slap and an insult, you know. So that's all there in the Kalas character. But there's a little bit missing of that thing where she will stride on stage, and she's entitled to it because ha,、oh, she is Kalas. We don't quite get that from、uh, from Mer-、uh, Shelley Gaza, the actress, mainly also because she's a bit diminutive physically. You know,、um, she makes up for it, of course, in. Volume and her sheer presence on stage, and in acting the piece, she's terrifically fine in every other way. You know, and, and people might ask, well, you know, does she sing in the show? Is, does does Kalas do an aria? No, McNally makes sure that she doesn't because here she is past her prime as a singer. It's one of the reasons she's doing classes instead of singing. And the moment when、uh, God. Shelley Gaza's Kalas sings a phrase is quite riveting because we hear, you know, she, she's not a great singer anymore. We hear that she could have been, but the voice cracks and she has to you know, go into something else because that that terrible sadness of oh my god, this was her great crowning jewel and the voice is no longer there.、Uh, it was there, but not anymore. So terrific job from Shelley Gaza in Masterclass. The singers are also really、um, interesting and entertaining to watch. The people who, who put themselves up to be, you know, shot down by Maria Callas as actors. Nothing against them; they're actually perfectly cast for the roles. In the singing vein.、Um, 
Yeah, I, I almost feel sorry for the first singer who comes out. I don't have the, the playbill in front of me. Actually, I, I have it with me. If you can just hold one moment. Uh, in fact, you don't have to hold one moment. I'm, I'm going to play some real Maria Callas doing Tosca's Visa d'Arte. And you can hear the real, the original La Divina herself. And then I'll come back and talk about the other actors in the performance of Masterclass at UNC. But here is uh, from Act Two of Tosca, the original, Kalas. Obviously, a tremendously dramatic opera singer, as again, not the prettiest voice in the world, and not the the most technically perfect voice 
in the world, but certainly the power and the force and the emotion behind the voice you can even hear in that excerpt. That's from Tosca Actuvisa d'Arte from Maria Callas, and we're talking about the masterclass production that they're doing at UNC, the Norton Theater. And I wanted to—I didn't want to give short shrift to all the other actors in the performance. First of all, you've got uh, Anna Landy playing Sophie, who is the first soprano that comes out. She's like the. I wouldn't say she's the dumb blonde, but she is not ready for what Kalas will hit her with. She knows she has a pretty voice. She knows she can she can sing, but she doesn't know what it takes to be an opera singer. And she, she hasn't bothered to translate the lyrics. You know, she hasn't bothered to really think about what she's singing. She just knows she can open her bird, uh, open her voice, and sing like a canary, which. Um, Rattles sort of colossal bit because Arionassis used to call her a canary and she took it as kind of an insult. So, Landy, I, I, the only thing is I felt a little bit sorry for her because um, she does this whole aria and Maria Callas is talking all the way through it. She's just there is almost background music to put Callas uh, into her reverie. So we don't really get to applaud or, or say, hey, nice, nice job on that aria. Anna Landy, sorry, but uh, she certainly is, is perfectly fine. Um, you've got Chance Jacob uh, is playing Tony. He is the handsome tenor who strides up, and he at least can take Kalas on his own level, or, or on her own level, because she always feels very um, physically inferior. She was homely and overweight, and then she made herself beautiful, but probably inside she still feels like the homely girl. So a handsome tenor strides up on stage. She immediately will pull back into herself, and he has the confidence in himself to take her on in in his way. So again, Chance Jacob very well cast in that role. My one problem is that he's an actor, not an opera singer. And so he has a perfectly nice, light voice for musical theater. But when he has to hit notes, high notes, towards the end of his aria, um, he, he, he goes into falsetto. And it's not the prettiest thing in the world. He's, he's not really hitting the notes like a tenor would. And so that, that shouldn't be a big deal. But if she's in this reverie and she's going, oh, beautiful. She loves his performance. And she's like, just wonderful and perfect. You, you, it's like in the audience you're going, well, no, it wasn't really that wonderful sounding and perfect. And we excuse it in the sense that uh, Kalas would be wowed by his looks and his, his bravado, not so much by his voice anyway. But still, you know, might have been nice to have someone in there who could really actually sing the aria and be pretty darn good. Um, and then on Terza Schwartz, in sort of the toughest role, the role that um, Audra McDonald played in the musical you know, on Broadway. And again, she also has the unenviable task of going through a whole aria while Maria Callas is talking, so that we, we don't really get to applaud her and and give her what we say, oh, yeah, that was a really nice job, because we've been warned against applauding by Callas, and she's she's singing you know, while Callas is going through really the toughest part of her life and explaining that to us. But really well-cast people and really worthwhile seeing Masterclass on, well, the stage of the Norton Theater. Let me, um, let me check the dates on that. It's playing again tonight 
on the 30th, and then tomorrow matinee, July 1st, and then they come back July 8th, 19th, 20th, and 21st, all at the Norton Theater at the University of Northern Colorado. So, yes, very... Um, I, I recommend, actually, all the shows that I've seen at LTR this summer. They're all worth seeing. If you had to pick and choose, I would start with Next to Normal as the most unmissable one, followed by uh, Shelley Gaza's performance in Masterclass, and then... Um, Let's see, what else? The uh, Well, 39 Steps is gone. Uh, they, they only played one week of that. But that was my least favorite anyway. So, but Boys Next Door is coming back. You can see that July 5th, 13th, 14th, 18th, and 22nd. So, that's Inside Broadway here at UNC, here on Dave's Gone By with me. Dave Lefkowitz, every Saturday from 10 until 1 in the afternoon. Have a bit more to do on the show. We're not going away so quick, but I do want to do the sponsors of this program to let you know, you know who, uh, how we're allowed to be here, as we've been for the past few years. First of all, I want to let you know that the radio station wants you to know that Florence and the Machine will be at Red Rocks July 25th. Uh, Red Rocks is, I've never been there. Always wanted to see it. I hear it's beautiful. I hear it's a great place to see a concert. And coming up in just a couple of weeks, Flo and the Machine gonna be there. For tickets, you can go to, um, let's see where. Well, first of all, FlorenceandTheMachine.net is their website. And what else is coming to us? Well, the next show is September 27th at the Pepsi Center. Red Hot Chili Peppers are going to be there. Now, we mention this because once the school year gets going again and we have a lot more programming on this station, then there'll be chances to win tickets to shows like these. I mean, major artists and major shows. You're listening, especially during the week, like from 4 in the afternoon until 10 or 11 at night, and you listen to the shows there. They're going to be giving away major concert tickets to the Pepsi Center, places in Denver, Red Rocks, certainly concerts that happen here in Greeley and at uh, the UCCC. So you got to keep it here at UNC Radio, uncradio.com, the place to listen to us. And, and also, they have a Facebook page, so check that out for information about the station. Now, my particular show, Dave's Gone By, is brought to you by the wonderful folks at Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway. Since the mid-1970s, the Toron family has owned and operated Hewlett Minuteman Press. They do fine work for reasonable prices and a very reasonable turnaround time. They're a great family to work with for all your printing, copying jobs. If you want to put your company's logo on a calendar or a golf ball or a mud or if you got to send out, you know, it's already time to start thinking about huh, Jewish holiday and New Year cards, believe it or not, and Halloween cards or whatever. You can do those through Ulit Minute Man Press and wedding invitations and also banners. You go to Ulit Minute Man Press and see all the things that they can do for you. And they are right in the heart of Ulit Long Island, about a block, mm, two blocks from the Ulit train station, but just across the street from the big old giant Lomans. Check them out, and let me give you their phone number. They are at 
569-5577, area code 516-569-5577, and if you mention Dave's Gone By, you get 10% off any job, big or small, at Minuteman Press. That's 516-569-5577, tell them Dave sent you. Now, Dave's Gone By is also brought to you by TotalTheater.com. It is a website of theater reviews and Articles and it's absolutely free. Go to totaltheater.com. If you look in Criticopia, you'll see reviews of Broadway shows, off-Broadway shows, shows from all over the country, from Chicago, from Los Angeles, from Milwaukee, from Sarasota, Florida. And what you want to do is you want to go click on the What's New button to see all the recent reviews of shows and shows that are still running in these places. And again, absolutely free. If you go to the Periodica section, you can read the articles and interviews. Um, we just put up an article with um, oh, Michael Portantier wrote an article about Max von Essen. Did an interview with this actor. Max von Essen is in the Broadway revival of Evita. Well, he was playing Magaldi, a relatively small role, but when Ricky Martin goes on vacation, Max von Essen is the guy playing Che. Pretty major role. And so if you want to hear about that and about von Essen's career, go to TotalTheater.com, click on What's New, and you'll find right there the interview with Max von Essen and a bunch of other articles and interviews at the website. Now, Total Theater is also the parent company of Performing Arts Insider, the Bible of Broadway since 1944. Performing Arts Insider is a hard copy journal. You get it in the mail, you can read it on the train, you can put it on your desk, and it's what the professionals use in the entertainment industry to figure out what is happening now and in weeks and months and years to come on the stages of New York. So you've got bookers for the morning talk show. Excuse me, for the morning talk shows, for the late night talk shows. And they need to know, wow, I, some actor's gonna be on Broadway, and we want to get them on this TV show. How do I contact them? How do I find the press agent, or the manager, or the producers of the show? How do I contact the, uh, the designers of a particular show? The playwright? It's all there. All that information, the inside information, is in the insider. Well, wait, I think I just came up with a phrase there. The inside information is inside the insider. And to find out more about it, go to performingartsinsider.com. Performingartsinsider.com. It's expensive, but it is the Bible of Broadway. And finally, gotta give a shout out to our friend Jeff Goodman, the owner and proprietor of Fancy, excuse me, of Fancy Schmancy Balloons. He is the party king. No, he's not sitting there making balloon animals. What Jeff does is make balloon archways. For parties, he does the uh, centerpieces for your tables. And if you have a theme or an idea for the way you want your party to look, Jeff can make that happen. If you're a Colorado Rockies fan, if you're a Yankees fan, a Mets fan, he can make the party look like that with cutouts and, and centerpieces on the table and baseballs and bats and you know people's jerseys and their numbers. You know, you walk in and it's like, oh, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. New York Mets, New York Yankees. He can do uh, the vampire stuff if people are watching that. He can do Star Wars if you want it. He can make your party look 
like what you can do a Broadway theme if you are interested in that. So give Jeff Goodman a call, 516-776-0600, 516-776-0600, if your party is in the tri-state New York area, New York, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. You definitely want to give them a call. And if you know nothing about putting a party together, don't worry, because Jeff will hook you up. He knows the caterers, the DJs. He knows um, all the folks who can turn your party into something special. 516-776-0600. Shouldn't your party be a fancy-schmancy affair? Well, we are coming up on noon here, Mountain Time, at the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley. We're doing Dave's Gone By with me, Dave Lefkowitz. Have another hour left. Have some stuff I wanted to talk with you about. But noon is the time that we always give you Bob Dylan sooner and later. That's where we play songs from all different times of Dylan's career, from the earliest recordings, the home recordings, all the way to his most recent albums on Columbia, and everything in between official and unofficial bootlegs. Plus, we sometimes do them all centered on a certain theme. Well, this particular theme, it being only four days from the 4th of July, is the 4th of July and Independence Day and the Revolution and all of that. So these are all songs that at least mention, in some way, something to do with America or the birth of America. Let us um, let's begin with a song that he did with the band. It's called Tears of Rage, and right in the first line, you're going to hear Independence Day. Just it. 
I didn't know what I was gonna do. The communists were coming around, they were in the air, they were on the ground, they were all over. down most hurriedly and joined the John Burt Society. I got me a secret membership card, went back to my backyard, and started looking on the sidewalk, beneath the rose bush. Well, I was looking everywhere for them gold darn reds. I got up in the morning, looked under my bed, looked behind the kitchen, behind the door, even tore loose the kitchen floor. I couldn't find any. I looked beneath the sofa, beneath the chair, looking for them reds everywhere. I looked way up my chimney hole, even deep down inside my toilet bowl, I got away. I heard some footsteps by the front porch door, so I grabbed my shotgun from the floor. I snuck around the house with a huff and a hiss, saying, Hands up, you communist! It was the mailman. <laughs> he punched me out. 
Well, I quit my job so I could work alone. I got a magnifying glass like Sherlock Holmes. Following some clues from my detective bag, I discovered there was red stripes on the American flag. Did you know about Betsy Ross? Well, I was sitting home alone and I started to sweat. I figured they was in my television set. I peeked behind the picture frame and got a shock from my feet that hit my brain. Them reds did it. The ones on the hook, nanny. Well, I finally started thinking straight when I run out of things to investigate. I couldn't imagine doing anything else, and now I'm home investigating myself. I don't find out too much. Good God. As long as I love you, I'm not free. 
things are in bed now, of course. The city fathers, they are trying to endorse the reincarnation of Paul Revere's horse. But the town has no need to be nervous. The ghost of Belle Star, she hands down her wits to Jezebel the nun. She violently knits a bald wig for Jack the Ripper, who sits at the head of the Chamber of Commerce. Mama's in a factory, she ain't got no shoes. Daddy's in the alley, he's looking for food. I'm in the kitchen with the tombstone blue. Wonder, it's heaven into my companion. 
be lost or out they smell Hell, they kind of the cost it take to bring down All the earthly principles They're gonna have to abandon And as a slow, slow train coming I'll be round Quit your message straight now You could die down here Be just another accident statistic And there's a slow Slow train coming Up and round the bend All that foreign oil Controlling American soil Look around you It's just bound to make you embarrassed Walking around like kings Wearing fancy jewels and those rings Deciding America's future From Amsterdam into Paris And as it snows The change coming Up around
Woo-woo, hear the train whistle in the distance. The slow train coming. From Bob Dylan, the title track of that album, Capping, our Bob Dylan Sooner and Later segment here on Dave's Gone By on this June 30th. The Sooner and Later segment dedicated to the upcoming holiday of July 4th. So we heard um, not so much patriotic songs per se, but certainly songs that mention in some way something connected to Independence Day, July 4th, and America in general. And so, in that set, we played from the top Tears of Rage, Bob Dylan and the band from the Basement Tapes, that first line, We Carried You in Our Arms on Independence Day. We then played John, excuse me, Talkin' John Birch Paranoid Blues, from the live 1964 bootleg collection, and he's talking about all the different ways he's finding communists everywhere. There was stripes on the American flag, that old Betsy Ross, and even um, Dylan name checks Thomas Jefferson also in that particular song. Talking John Birch, Paranoid Blues. I believe that was the one that uh, he wanted to play on the Smothers Brothers, and the network wouldn't let him, so he walked or something like that. But anyway, that was the tune. We also heard Abandoned Love from the Bootlegs Volume 1 through 3 series, where he talks, or where he says, I march in the parade of liberty. And then All American Boy, real rarity there from Dylan. That is from the real basement tapes, not the uh, the two record set that Columbia put out, but like the full, genuine, somebody left the recorder going and got a ton of songs, basement tapes, and a little tune called All American Boy, and then Bob Dylan doing, well, it's all Bob Dylan doing Senor, Tales of Yankee Power, well, Yankees in there, versus the Redcoats, I guess, um, let's see, any others, um, do, 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 do. Oh, no, actually, uh, Senor tells of a marching band, which is a very typical thing you're going to see on July 4th, including here in Greeley, Colorado. Finally, Slow Train with the line Jefferson turning over in his grave. On Dave's Gone By, it's 12.33 in the afternoon here at the University of Northern Colorado. I'm Dave Lefkowitz, and happy to be doing Dave's Gone By every Saturday here from 10 until 1 at uncradio.com. So I wanted to, to just shoot the breeze with you a little bit. I wanted to uh, talk about stuff on my mind. If you want to chime in, by the way, the number here at the station is 970-351-1256. 970-351-1256. Now, the subjects I have on my plate, as it were, are first of all the uh, corralling of Greenwich Village by New York University, and then also we can talk about Obamacare. But I really, I don't know, you know, I was, wasn't really fired up about the whole health insurance Supreme Court vote thing. I think everybody feels just so ambivalent about it that I'm not sure I really want to talk about it. But if you do, give me a, a buzz nine seven zero three five one. One two five six, and we can spin the direction that way, or we can also talk about um, maybe what you're doing for the holiday coming up on July 4th, or we can talk about if you've had any first-hand 
more close-up experience with the fires that have been going on all over Colorado, be it the Waldo or the High Park, whatever. So, again, last chance, 970-351-1256, or feel free to shoot me an email, davesgoneby at aol.com. But let me, let, me, let me talk a little bit about my old alma mater, New York University, which in some ways I'm very proud of. I'm not saying they had the best program ever, I'm not saying they did everything for me that I hoped that they would and could over the years and during the years while I was there, but also proud to have gone to a university that has only risen in esteem since I left. I probably should rephrase that. <laughs> May I walked out the door, suddenly the GPA shot up. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but no, no, NYU was expanding while I was there, back in the days of John Bragamus, when he was running the place and then getting all kinds of money for it in the film school, which is where I was, and then uh, I got my master's in playwriting and screenwriting there. And so it's kind of heartening for me and a sense of pride that I went to a school that has gotten harder to get into since I went there. It wasn't a breeze when I went, but I didn't really have a problem getting in. And, and you know, it's a big, big school, so they do accept a lot of people, or at least they did. But I was proud to get into the film school and what have you. And even while I was there, there was more stuff being built. They were buying more real estate. And it was necessary. Let me tell you, folks, when I was going there, I was mostly commuting from Long Island and was tempted to try living in a dorm after like the first year after I got through that transition and was going back and forth from Long Island to New York and four or five days a week and it was kind of tough and thought hey maybe I'll do a dorm but there were no dorms to be had you had to be from out of state or out of the country in order to get a a dorm where they were packing four to like a two bedroom place I mean you were really sort of sardined in there of course, it's New York. Of course, real estate is at a premium. But I think they, I, I seem to remember there was a waiting list of hundreds of names to get into a dorm at NYU. You know, if you wanted to live on or near the campus, you had to be from somewhere else. If you were close enough to commute or to walk or drive or bike or even subway, then no, sorry, there's too many people on the waiting list who are just from further miles away. And so it was a real crisis of housing that NYU had. And, okay, we're talking 1981, 82, 84, that. So we're talking a long time ago. But, st- oh my God, we're, we're talking almost 30 years ago. Wow. Wow. That's That's... I mean, it's not 30 years since my graduation, but, but 30 years since I started, and that's just, that just knocked me back for a loop. But anyway, so NYU does has, have this crisis. They've got to put people somewhere, and they also want to build other things. They want to have other schools and expand, and so they do into parts of Greenwich Village, and they become a landlord of places that they can't knock down. So they'll buy the block, and there'll be a housing complex where my aunt used to live, as a matter of fact. Um, she lived in an apartment building right near NYU, and they became her landlord for, you know, basically for the rest of her life. And so now what's happening, I'm going to read this part of this article that was in, where was it? it was I know it was captured in the Post, but I think it was also on Bloomberg, that um, 
hundreds of Greenwich Village residents, including actor Matthew Broderick, filled the New York City Council chambers today. This is uh, actually yesterday, or might have been on the 28th, seeking to block a 2 million square foot expansion by New York University. 2 million square feet. And this is, again, I mean, this isn't some college, uh, forget Greeley, but I mean, really podunk place where there's just acres and acres of land and trees and just vacant lots and what have you, like maybe a strip mall or something. This is, this is two million acres of land in the heart of one of the most congested built up cities in the world. New York City, right in Greenwich Village, Manhattan. Um, Matthew Broderick, who I guess lives in the village with Sarah Jessica Parker and their kids, and grew up there and, and loves New York and has stayed in Manhattan, even though he could easily live in Hollywood or anywhere else he wants to. Uh, Broderick says they might need to expand, but they certainly don't need to destroy the village, says Broderick, a longtime resident who starred in the movie Ferris Bueller's Days Off and the Broadway musical Producers. Blah, blah, blah. The actor uh, was joined by hundreds of residents including NYU faculty, who called for the council to stop the project, saying that it was already out of scale with the rest of the neighborhood. Um, says, da, 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 da. they have to find a way to not ruin the thing that makes people want to come here, says Broderick. And so you're, you're thinking, here, here's what they say the expansion is. It's 6 million square feet over 20 years, costing from 3 to $4 billion. It will include a nursing school near the NYU's hospital on the east side and an applied science school in downtown Brooklyn. So it's not all going to be in the village. It's not all just going to be swallowing up, I don't know, St. Mark's Place and West 4th Street and perhaps down to East 4th Street and, gosh, Sullivan Street, all those those places. Parts of it, certainly. I mean, 2 million square feet is a lot. Of footage, and they want to see NYU take it down to a quarter million, like three hundred thousand square feet. And I think NYU. Um, what happened was NYU scaled down its original proposal by about three hundred and seventy-seven thousand feet. So they were going for two point five million acres. Good God, or or, or square square feet. Excuse me, um, to build up. So here's my quandary, here's my take back and forth on this whole thing. As an alumnus of NYU, anything that builds them up, anything that makes them look bigger and better and stronger in the world and in academia looks good. I put NYU on my resume for both the bachelor's and the master's, and I, yeah, yeah, you heard about NYU, yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're getting big, they're huge. They're, they're so big they have to grow into Brooklyn now and other places. They're so enormous, they've got skyscrapers. They're, they're the biggest landlord in the village. They're one of the biggest industries in New York. I, I don't know if that's true. That's, that's probably not true. So a certain level of me has pride in that. And then you also get to this point where um, Matthew Broderick and these other concerned citizens don't want the shape and nature of the village to change, the physical space of it, because suddenly, you know, it's a college, and why he's going to be building big buildings and modernized glass kind of towery buildings, I'm sure. 
which won't look like the village you still look 50, 60, 80 years ago. And remember, this is where you know, everyone from Edward Hopper and Jackson Pollock and Edgar Allan Poe and, of course, Henry James and Bob Dylan and Mark Twain, I mean, Joey Ramone, this, is, this was their stomping ground. And I remember coming to the village long before I went to school, long before New York University, to see my Aunt Sadie, who lived there, and you know, seeing the cobblestony sort of streets and the, the feeling of it, that it was different, that it was somehow more open. It wasn't like Times Square. It was a somewhere else kind of a place. And there were trees, and there was Washington Square Park, and digging that. But then at the same time, I remember going to NYU and in the years later visiting the area and remembering that Washington Square Park wasn't so great. Maybe it was for some people. Maybe if you like to smoke pot, which I never did, <laughs> probably should have at some point, but never tried, never wanted to. But if you were into that, or if you wanted to play guitar and sit at the fountain, which I just had no... I couldn't play guitar, and it was too busy to do. I just wanted to either do my homework or work on a script or a film or, or just get home to Long Island and the peace away from New York. But So I, I don't have that incredible connection to Washington Square Park, even the arch. It's okay. They're not going to kill the arch. They're not going to knock down the Arch de Triomphe in the middle of Washington Square Park. They'll leave that. And then, you know, so if some of the restaurants change, everything changes. Everything has to change at some point. Now, the things that should be landmarked in this world, theaters, of course, museums of a, of a kind, certain historically important locations and things. But to, to just sort of landmark uh, a presence, a kind of lifestyle, I don't think you can do that. And I think streets have to change. Yeah, a store that was there 100 years ago, that's great, but if it's a, a fire hazard, it's got to either be rebuilt or refashioned or torn down and turned into something else. And so if it's NYU that's the landlord doing it, or if it's Walt Disney stepping in there instead, I think I'd rather have NYU, you know? If it's some Japanese or German company that's stepping in there that, that's going to own the land and buy it instead, is that better, you know? I would say, okay, you've got a college, you've got a university that's growing, and they need space, and they're going to be contributing to the economy of the area and to the tax base of the area, let them do it. I mean, is the village right now so incredibly wonderful and just like it was in 1870 when Henry James was? No, not at all. It's been changing anyway. So I would have to say that for the most part, I'm with NYU on this. Maybe... Again, it's a little bit of point of pride of alma materness, but I, I'm, I have to say, you know, what are we preserving? What is so incredibly valuable and beautiful to preserve in the village? Is it going to be that they're going to be much taller buildings, and the landscape will change? So when people who live there or walk there now look up, they won't see as much sky. They'll see more congested, higher, modern office buildings. Okay. Well, I mean, not office, but, but school buildings. I think that's a, a reasonable price to pay. But but what's interesting to me is, and what I really don't get about this whole thing, is that huge as NYU is, 
what's happening now with every university and every college is a good chunk of the courses are online. Now, this wasn't always... I mean, ten, even 10 years ago, the idea of online college, people would snicker, they'd go, yeah, okay, it's for kids who can't really hack it in the real classrooms. You know, it's, it's for special needs cases. It's not as good as a real degree. It's like a real course. It's, I mean, you get the books, of course, and you get some of the lessons, but you know, it's not like being in the classroom with other people and the give and take with a teacher and all that. But times change. Everything changes. You take a class, and even when I was doing my master's degree here at UNC, half the courses were online, more than half, really. We took three courses over the summer that they jammed in together, so they would bring people from all over the place, and we all get together for three weeks, six days a week, all day long, um, and, and get our credits and do it. And it was great, but then the whole rest of the semester... We're all grown-ups. We all have families. We're teaching, um, directing, doing other things. Can't take two years to spend in Greeley, Colorado. So how do you have a program? Well, you make it so that they can take part of the program from their computers. Send in the homework, read the readings, do the essays, take the tests, whatever, and there it is. And so that has been sort of the um, the framework of the way college in America is moving. Because if you don't have to put these kids in a classroom, why do it? If you can get a kid from Nigeria and a kid from Dublin, you know, and a kid from Tel Aviv and a kid from Kansas, and they're all taking the same class, which is kind of cool, and they're all taking it at the same time, but they don't have to physically be there, it's, it's in some ways pretty wonderful. And they, the college can reap this huge benefit by charging what they normally charge for a credit it's not like you get a break on an online course. It's not that much. It isn't cheaper. You're still paying the same damn thing. But you, they're not putting you in a room. They don't have to give you chairs that need to ma- be maintained. They don't have to paint the walls of that room. All they got to do is make sure they've got you know, the servers working on the computer. Things are uploading properly. Students still has to buy the books unless there's materials that they can download. Sometimes they have to pay for those too or course materials. It's all doable that way, and more and more universities, including this one, are going in that direction, for better and for worse. I'm still a firm believer, having taken regular courses and online courses, I'm a tremendous believer in the presence of being in a room, taking notes, looking at a blackboard, looking at a PowerPoint lecture, teacher talking, asking questions, the physical presence of being in the room is important but that's becoming less and less as the nature of going to college changes so this brings me back to what I don't understand of why NYU needs all these places I mean if you can start doing all your literature courses presumably online and God, every other courses you wouldn't think that you could do Online, foreign languages perhaps. They're going to start to do history by all means. Okay, they can't do the science lab stuff. And uh, it says NYU wants to build a nursing school, which is kind of cool. So, okay, that you have to have physical hands on places to do the nursing. But what happened to all the spaces in NYU that are not being used, that would have been used for regular brick and mortar classes, that are now 
just being used for um, their online courses. Shouldn't that have freed up hours and hours of free space in the buildings that they already have? I mean, I will say it was kind of weird when I would go to film class in main building is what they called it. It was the, the main building. And I remember if I got off the elevator on the wrong floor or, or I just walked up the stairs and I came through the, the weird sort of side entrance through the hallways, you would actually see cabinets full of, like, fetal pigs in jars and jellies and probably even fetuses of, of you. I don't... Not sure I recall that. My mind may be playing tricks on me, but they did definitely have jars of formerly living things in jelly that were just like in these cabinets as you were walking towards whatever classroom you were going. Because it wasn't right near like labs as far as I recall. Science labs. There's, I guess they had no other place to put it. And they say, hey, we're a college, we're a university. Let's get people interested in science. And suddenly you're walking by a fecal pig in a jar. Don't get it. Anywho, I wish NYU well. I hope that they... I mean, maybe again, NYU pressed a 2.5 million square feet suit, assuming that they would barely get a million and a half, and that's what they're really expecting. Okay. Um, I guess that's a fair compromise. I really have to, as I said, come down on the side of my alma mater on this one. Times change things change, and if you've got a business that's thriving and is willing to pay, let it thrive. I know that sounds kind of right-wing capitalist, which I'm certainly not, but, you know, why are you holding them back? For some idea of what the village used to be 60 years ago? Ain't there no more, you know? And when people are angry that NYU kind of killed the bottom-line nightclub. And that was a shame. That was a very cool place. And I'm sorry if, if that, I guess that was on NYU real estate and they jacked up the, uh, the rent to the point where Art Pepper couldn't keep it going anymore. It is a shame to lose a place like the bottom line. NYU should have bought it and kept it as a nightclub. Well, okay. Sometimes a little too much is a little too much. Maybe they'll be more sensitive to other landmarky places that mean things to the college kids at, N- at NYU. But again, NYU also isn't like Harvard and Yale and Columbia and places with real campuses and history behind them where people would say, oh, how can you tear down the tables down at Maury's? NYU is is a commuter campus. New York is a campus. And New York always changes. That's what New York is. So to feel sort of nostalgic over this particular restaurant or this particular nightclub, okay, sorry. Mm, get over it. It's done. Anyway, this show is almost done. It's 12.54 in the afternoon here at the University of Northern Colorado. I'm Dave Lefkowitz. We're doing Dave's Gone By. If you want a check of the weather, I can do that for you. Oh, it doesn't stop, ladies and gentlemen. Just remember this when we get into late November, right? And it's it's dreary, perhaps, and well, we still we'll still get sunshine, but it'll be cold at night, and then you wake up to four inches of snow, and that may or may not melt, and da-da-da. You will remember this, please. The fact that it's going to be 98 degrees today, again, with possibly isolated thunderstorms. There's a 30% chance of rain going down to only 64 in the evening. And then tomorrow, oh, we hit 100 again. Yep, 
and and mostly sunny, probably not even any rain then. Monday, ooh, ooh, we get a little bit of a break. It's only going to hit 98. And then Tuesday, 98. And then Wednesday, 98. And then Thursday, 99. My God. You know, and again, if we remember in the winter when the bad weather will hang around for four or five days, like one storm system with the gray clouds, or, or just really a cold snap front, where it's just boom, day after day, except when the sunshine goes away, it's real cold at night, you know, and it doesn't seem like it'll ever change, because we have this basin in the mountains sort of thing, so it just stays the same and stays the same. Well, we certainly got that now. And it isn't until Friday, next coming Friday, the uh, July 6th, that it only goes down, or, or I should say goes up, to 92. <laughs> but we, we do catch a break the next weekend. It goes into the high 80s. Something. <laughs> a little bit of something. Well, anyway, I mean, it, come on. It's summer just started. It is July. This is probably the supposed to be the hottest time for really anyway. I do feel sorry for the folks who are wandering around the Stampede. Probably great for all the people selling beverages there. I'll bet they're doing landmark business. And I read in the paper that at least the early stages of the Greeley Stampede was getting um, more people than they had last year. So they have a better headcount, even though it's much, much hotter. Um, what the one of the organizers of the Stampede says was that, yeah, it's hot, it, it can be tough, but people come in the heat. They don't come in the rain. Rain is what really scares people away. Heat, they'll have hats, they can find shade, they can drink a beverage. So, you know... I haven't been to the, the Stampede, not sure if I'm going to go. Um, there's no musical act that I have, really have a particular desire to see. And I've done the rodeo thing and some other stuff. But if you do go, please enjoy, please cover up, please wear sunscreen, all that usual kind of stuff. Well, it's 12.57 here Mountain Time, and time to do some thank yous and some shout-outs to friends of the neighborhood, friends or anybody who's been on the show over our past nine and a half years, got to give them props and got to uh, got to say hi to them. Oops, I also have to find the paper <laughs> that lists them. Here we go, friends of the neighborhood. Hey, uh, you have how much longer? You have one more day to check out Jeffrey Sweet's one-act play, A Little Family Time. It's being done as uh, part of a show called More of Our Parts by Theater Breaking Through Barriers at the Harold Clerman Theater off-Broadway in New York. So, uh, shout-out to Jeff Sweet. I hope his one-act play went over really well. As I mentioned earlier in Inside Broadway, Linda Lavin, uh, she's just got three more performances of The Lions at Broadway's Court Theater. Go see her. She is hysterically funny. Coming up on July 12th, Chris Smither is playing the Highline Ballroom, which is on West 16th, 16th Street in Manhattan. Also want to remind you to see Jake Ehrenreich in A Jew Grows in Brooklyn at the Jack Willen Onassis Theater on West 46th Street. Carrie Hoffman still doing My Sinatra at Sophia's. Christine Petty, she's finishing up her run in Miss Abigail, as we said, but she's still in Newsical at Sophia's on West 46th Street. Want to remind everybody, please subscribe to drdemento.com. He's still doing brand new programs. He was a guest here in March, was one of the great 
joys of my radio life to be able to interview Dr. Demento. I was thrilled. So, um, anyway, as I said, um, he's not on terrestrial radio, so a lot of people think he's retired or he's not doing anything. No! He's putting out new shows every weekend, and you can get them at drdemento.com. I think it's $2 for the show. If you want it in high-quality audio, I think it's 4 bucks. And he also has annual subscriptions as well. Check him out. And everybody, um, Al- yeah, excuse me, listen to David Kenny's Everything Old is New Again, which is on WBAI in New York, 99.5 FM, Sunday nights from 9 to 11 p.m. He plays show music, but mostly cabaret music and American standards. And he'll also... Um, do sets devoted to people like Peggy Lee and Judy Garland and folks like that. So uh, David Kenny been doing the show for many years at WBAI. Check it out Sunday nights from 9 to 11. WBAI.org if you want to listen online. Alan Scherstuhl's Studies and Crap is in San Francisco Weekly. Alan's a very busy boy this summer. hes uh, I don't think he's he, he will be moving to New York. I think he's getting married, and then he's moving to New York because he's taking over the editorship for a film of The Village Voice. So congratulations to Alan, but if you get a chance to read his column, Studies and Crap, it's really quite marvelous. And then Perfect Crime, playing forever and a day at the Snapple Theater Center, starring Catherine Russell, who has done the role in that show, I think it's either 20 or 25,000 times with only like a couple of performance break to go to a wedding. So <laughs> still doing it, Catherine Russell and Perfect Crime Off-Broadway. Well, it's a crime to end a show as fun as this, but it's 1.01 in the afternoon here in Greeley, Colorado at the UNC... Radio Studio, uncradio.com, is where you listen to Dave's Gone by every Saturday from 10 until 1. I'm Dave Lefkowitz. Had a fabulous time um, talking and sharing music with you. I didn't get a chance to do any more of my Saturday segue of all these America and Fourth of July songs. I'm sorry about that. Let's, um, hmm, what shall we go out with? I guess... <laughs> should it be Neil Young or should it be Lou Reed? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll play the Lou Reed, and if it doesn't feel right, I'll, I'll top it with another song. But uh, this is Lou Reed from Between Thought and Expression doing his kind of America, the beautiful song. I want to let you know that I, I'm not sure if I'm going to be here next week on uh, July 7th, the Saturday. I might be in Denver and have to uh, postpone or, or cancel the show for that week. You'll have to just check my website, davesgoneby.com, D-A-V-E-S-G-O-N-E-B-Y.com, to see if I'll be here. Uh, you can shoot me an email, davesgoneby at AOL.com, to get on our weekly mailing list to know what's happening with the show. If I am not here next Saturday, I will certainly be here two Saturdays from now, and very likely with a pretty famous musician. Pretty, I, I, I want to say I don't want to jinx it or spoil it, but um, yeah, pretty a guy from a major band of the late 1960s, West Coast. That's the only hint. Okay. Anywho, I want to thank you for all for listening. I want to wish you all a very happy and safe Fourth of July. Please, folks. There's fires everywhere in Colorado. 
don't buy your own fireworks and be stupid like that. I mean, my gosh, when I was I was talking about getting my master's here, a second master's at UNC, and I remember like the first day I was taking a dance class, and we looked out the window of the building we were in at we were taking a lunch break, and the building across the street was on fire. And, and we may remember this. This was um, not last semester, but two semesters ago. And I'm just like, I was like, wow, that smoke is that building actually on fire? And there it was. And it turned out, just some kids were playing with fireworks. One went on the roof, and it had been very dry. We'd had another horrible heat wave, and so there was nothing to stop it. And suddenly, before you knew it, half the building had burned down, <laughs> or or at least the the interstices of the top floor. And so, ladies and gentlemen, if you're tempted to do the firework thing, go. I guess the Stampede will have real ones where they're professionals dealing with it. Or watch them on TV from New York Harbor, whatever it is. Avoid the temptation. Go get yourself a whoopee cushion instead. Go pop some champagne instead. We don't need to hear big, loud, fiery banging noises on July 4th that threaten the houses and the existence of everybody who lives here. We really, really don't. Anyway, not to go out on a sour note, but how can you not when you get someone like Lou Reed to sing a song like America? So have a great time, have a good holiday, and gone by. Yeah. 